All right. Well, this week's guest, Laura Renner, has definitely, definitely stepped into her superpower. Here to talk with her today about her exciting book, all of the ways she's been able to work through things in her past and is now helping others to do the same. Laura Renner, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored to be here today. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here, taking time to be with my guests. Uh, if you haven't figured it out yet, everybody, we've live streamed this show, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn. Please subscribe, like, follow, wherever that platform is you're watching today. I'd greatly appreciate that. Um, if you listen on audio podcasts, you catch it the following week on all the major players. It's on all of them. And uh, do the same over there. Give us a follow. If you love the show, please give us a five-star review. It greatly help expand the reach and the impact and the uh, great stuff that my guests talk about, because that's what we're doing here lately on the show. We're all bringing people to you who are living as examples of courage. And so, Laura, you wrote this new book, uh, and I love the title, No, I'm Not Fine, Thank You, because so many people in this world, you know, that's the default answer, right? I'm fine, I'm good, things are great. And really, you don't even have to go deep down. It might just be one little peek behind the curtain, and, and it's a hot mess back there. So, uh, walk us through the book, the title, why you wrote it. Let's dig into what you're all about. Absolutely. So, No, I'm Not Fine, Thank You is about my uh, traumatic brain injury and how that led me to the discovery that I had complex trauma. And it kind of goes completely through my trauma healing journey over about the course of a year. And the title was really special for me because that was me to a T. I was absolutely someone who always said, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Even when I clearly wasn't fine, that was just my default answer. And you're exactly right. That's really how a lot of us are. A lot of us respond that way. And we just, for me, I think, and I think for a lot of us, we think it's kind of a way of showing strength and our resilience. But in fact, I've come to learn for myself, I think it's actually the opposite. And I think the more real and open and vulnerable I am about my story and what's actually going on, I think that's where the real strength really comes from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that ability to be so incredibly authentic is, is really a superpower because the mark of authenticity, I guess I would say today, is so skewed with social media, what we see. You know, there's a lot of people saying they're authentic. There's a lot of people saying they're doing great things. There's a lot of people pretending, but, you know, really when you take that peek behind the curtain, it's not there. So, uh, so walk us through, I mean, you, you share with me in the pre-show, uh, kind of a freak accident, what happened with your uh, brain injury. Walk us through that. And what, you know, what, what was it like as you began to heal? Absolutely. So it was literally a freak accident. I was in a park in downtown Denver where I live and I was playing with one of my friend's kids and I just fell backwards on one of the monuments, which is like the stone marble structure and landed right in the back of my head. And initially, I didn't really think much of it. I'm a nurse. And so I kind of did my own kind of mini neurological assessment. And I thought I was fine. I truly actually thought I was fine in the moment. And it turns out um, the next morning, I woke up with significant facial bruising and I couldn't stop vomiting, which are both signs of potentially a concussion, if not worse. And yep, that was, that was exactly how I looked. And I knew I needed to go to the hospital. I still was very resistant, I think, because I was really terrified of finding out what was actually going on. That was totally my defense mechanism. And once I finally got to the hospital, 
and they gave me a CT scan. It turned out that I had multiple large hemorrhages, which are active bleeds on multiple levels of my brain that were pushing my brain down towards my brainstem and would ultimately lead me to stop breathing. Uh, my neurosurgeon said that if I hadn't had surgery within the next day, I would have died. And wow. it was an absolute whirlwind of a time. I spent some time in the ICU after my brain surgery. I had complications after complications when I went home. It was really just a wild ride. And I wasn't, you know, meeting like the typical traumatic brain injury kind of presentation. I was actually doing pretty well cognitively, physically at the beginning. But once all those complications hit and the depression really hit and I started really regressing, everything just got worse. It really impacted my speech. It impacted me physically. I really couldn't manage to do anything kind of for my day-to-day life. And because I kept kind of pushing the envelope thinking, I'm okay, I'm okay. I'm used to being independent. I can do this. What ended up happening was I developed a new brain bleed and I was facing another brain surgery. And that was the absolute hard stop where I had to completely, fully, fully, fully focus on recovering, which I thought I was. I thought that I was doing that, but it still wasn't enough because I was so used to just pushing and going. And that was when I just hit my absolute rock bottom. I just truly just didn't want to live anymore. I was kept wishing that I had never gone to the hospital and that I had just died because so many bad things kept happening to me. And the after the or pr- prior to the traumatic brain injury, I had a lot of other health problems. I had a lot of other big things that happened in my life. And I just kind of hit that point where I was like, I don't want to keep experiencing these awful things. <clears throat> and at first I was just, yeah, at this deep depression. And then for some reason, I just got this automatic hit of a thought of if I don't change my mindset and really focus and believe that I can heal, then I am going to die then I am going to have another surgery and things are going to keep getting worse. And so I first started looking into, you know, mindset work to really try and get me to think about, you know, focusing on healing, focusing on recovering, getting back to where I was cognitively, physically. And everything kind of led me back to trauma. And I thought, I haven't experienced trauma. This is strange. But come to find out, I actually had, I had significant trauma throughout my childhood and adult life that... I had either normalized, repressed, or just really didn't have the framework to understand that it was trauma. And so once I kind of had this awareness and made this recognition and started exploring different trauma healing modalities, it just kind of blew you know, my mind open to all that was underneath the surface, my anxiety, my depression, how a lot of my perfectionism and a lot of things that I thought were good things, such as you know, being a workaholic and having to be the best and things like that were actually trauma responses. So really, it just kind of mm-hmm. opened up this door that I can really kind of never close again, but in a good way, because it's completely shifted my life 180 for the best way possible. Yeah, yeah. So do you think, do you think in a way that all of the physical, um, physical fallout from the fall wasn't so much about the fall as more the physical manifestation of your past? 1,000%. I completely think that. I think it was a combination of, you know, past trauma that I had never healed or even really scratched the surface of. But also, I think it really just stemmed out of the fact that I always believed the worst thing would happen to me. And so, therefore, that often happened. But also, I had no concept of safety. I had never felt safe 
within my body, within myself, within the world. I have just always been a super anxious, hypervigilant person since I was a child. And I always just was waiting for the other shoe to drop, waiting for something bad to happen. And that's really exactly kind of how my life played out. And once I was able to really kind of connect those dots and start to heal that and think differently and act differently and believe differently, it has just completely changed the trajectory of my life for the better. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild how, um, when we're actually forced to feel things, how it changes our perspective. Right. So I've talked about my past in the show quite a bit. And, you know, for me, I've said, you know, what I really want in life is to heal this big gaping hole in my chest. And the last eight weeks, I've been dealing with um, low pulse oxygen, you know, definitely like feeling my physical heart. Right. And so I've done all the tests and everything ends up being fine. So we're still uncovering what all that's about. But, you know, I, I was very calm with whatever might come and am calm with whatever might come because to me, it's like, well, this is just this physical manifestation of all this stuff from the past. And, you know, I've been saying, I want this hole in my chest to heal. Right. And so maybe I'm just going to be given it through surgical or uh, physical therapy uh, uh, remedy. And so uh, it's just interesting to me that as you were laying there, you know, you felt you were fine because you're, you're a, what we haven't shared. It's in our show notes with today's show, but what we haven't shared is you're a nurse. You're, you're a NICU nurse, right? So you have a high level of medical training. Mm-hmm. But when you say you gave yourself a self-assessment, you, who, who of all people should be able to know, right? You're, you're dealing with heavy, heavy, uh, medical cases all the time. Absolutely. And you know, it's funny because, I talk about this in my book, how with some of my previous uh, health problems, I avoided the hospital at all costs. And even with the brain injury, my boyfriend, you know, kind of placated me by taking me to urgent care first, because that was always my move. I go to urgent care first. I didn't believe it was that big of an emergency because I'm used to seeing such high level, intense emergencies that I just never was able to equate to equate myself to those levels. And Yeah, it was, I think a lot of it is, you know, on one level, I absolutely, I have the medical knowledge. I see a lot of, you know, traumatic things on a daily basis, unfortunately, at work and dealing it with high stress, high acuity, crazy life or death moments often. So then when it comes to me, and this was a big thing I had to work through, it's, and this is how I've been as a nurse kind of always. And I've been really learning to reframe and change. I put everyone's needs before myself, which that is just classic nursing for a lot of us. We're very empathetic people. But it wasn't just, you know, the babies working in the neonatal ICU. It was, of course, also the parents and the staff I was working with. And then it was also just me almost martyring myself, thinking that I can help. I can just work more. And if I work more and if I do more and if I help and if I just do more, it just makes everything better. And that was almost my way of validating myself and giving myself worth because I didn't have it. So I thought that if I just keep pushing and keep doing all these things to help other people, that that would give me that, you know, feeling of worthiness. And it didn't. And going through that whole healing process and really working through a lot of stuff with my childhood and a lot of, you know, big traumatic events that happened, it was, I'll be honest, it's awful. It's not pleasant, but to get through to the other side is absolutely worth it. And that's been one of the biggest things where I've struggled and as many of us do on any healing journey, but especially with a trauma healing journey, 
it's can be really unpleasant and really painful to go through at times. But once you get to that other side, I've always felt that I've always been glad I did. I've done it. And I've always been really happy that I continue to move forward. And I know that whenever I'm faced with some other struggle or some other challenge that I know it's just ultimately going to make me better and happier and stronger, and I'm going to be better for it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I'm, I'm walking that journey presently have been for a number of years. And, and again, you know, I feel my, my brilliance in life calling in life is to, you know, provide this stage and to speak to other people and, and, you know, really namely leaders about what is that space you can create for the, those that you lead, those around you, because the world's a broken place. It really truly is. And so that opportunity for healing, I don't think has ever been greater in our life. And I don't say that as like a business opportunity. I say that as a human opportunity, right? Like the opportunity for people in a leadership position, which I would include you. You're here doing this show. You're leading a conversation. You've written a book. You're leading in that way. You speak on stages. You're leading in that way. There's no bigger opportunity for that human opportunity and capacity to help other people heal. Um, just as a little side note, I wanted to share, you know, what you see in the hospital. Uh, I was reminded of a friend of my good friend of mine, um, uh, in anesthesiology. And, you know, he, he said, you know, I'll get paid for my skill. I can take my skill anywhere. That's far less. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Traumatic for, you know, cause he sometimes works ER and, uh, he says, I, I could take my skill anywhere. That's far less traumatic. I don't get paid for my skill. I get paid for the memories that get created. That's what I get paid for. And that's why I get the money I get. Because, uh, you know, really, you need it when you're seeing what you're seeing in some of those situations. So thank you for the service to your community and bringing your skills to those people. I just felt that was important to share because think of that in the context of you listening. You know, if you have a nurse, if you have a doctor, a firefighter, yeah, police officer, or really anybody that's seen something traumatic. It's it's the memory that lasts, right? Yes, completely agree. And thank you so much for saying that. Um, you know, it's interesting because I actually stepped away from nursing to heal um, from the traumatic brain injury and just really kind of dig deep into trauma healing. And I recently, a couple of months ago, started back on my old unit. And it's been really great in a lot of respects. There's also a little bit that's been re-traumatizing, a little PTSD to some um, extent. But I will say that just having this different lens of, you know, the role that I play in someone's worst, potentially one of the worst moments of their lives, of their child's life. And I always knew that, but now it just really resonates in a different way where I'm thinking, you know, every little action makes such a difference because I can speak, you know, from being uh, a healthcare provider, but also being on the patient side. I've been a patient many times and I have good memories and I have some really triggering and really terrible memories of unfortunately some of the care that I received and it really just makes such a difference. And so it's, I completely agree with what your friend said about how it really just does come down to, you know, it's it's not just about the skill set. It really is just about the, you know, the empathy, the connection and the care really makes such a huge difference and goes a long way. Yeah. So I want to get to the question I want to get to, but now there's another one. And this is this is the way the show goes, right? We sometimes go left, we go right, we go down the middle, we go up, we go down. We'll just this is why we just have a conversation. Um, you know, so my belief of my childhood and, and what happened through early, 
you know, I guess early teenage years, although the abuse ended at age 12. Um, and for those that don't know who might be tuning in, maybe you're fans of more. Uh, so I'm a stand as a victor over the grave of my childhood sexual abuse. It was really awful last uh, from age seven to 12. And, you know, just was really terrible. And, um, you know, and I can stand here today and share that relatively freely without a lot of issue. And for me, uh, my belief and a lot of peace came from this thinking that I was put in the path of this abuse and I have a faith uh, driven statement behind this and a belief in faith behind this statement put in the path of this abuse to be here today now talking about it, right? So it kind of goes in that frame of being that, you know, things don't happen to us, they happen for us, right? Because there's a lot of namely men that have been abused that just cannot, will not, could not possibly bring themselves to talk about this in a free open forum. And yet every time I do, uh, especially in person, I have people that'll reach out in person privately to the side, social media message thereafter, maybe a text message, and say, hey, we, you know, we share that bond, unfortunately. So my question to you is, do you think um, that your journey in life, that that fall was given to you for a reason? You touched on that empathy of care thereafter as you got back into nursing. Yeah, 1000%. I think that, you know, it's interesting kind of the escalation of the bad things that have happened over the last, you know, six years for me now. Have just gotten more intense, more intense, more serious, more serious, more life threatening. And I truly think that it required this kind of literal smack in the head to wake me up to the realization of I have trauma, I have significant things that I need to heal, but also the biggest reason for all of this is so that I can share my story. Because I think, like you, and like the fortunately, more people that continue to share their stories, this is what we need. I think. For me, I never felt that I really connected to anybody in a lot of respects. I thought, especially when I hit my, you know, lows and the anxiety and things like that really took over and my inner critic would just, you know, hammer me down and make me, excuse me, feel terrible. I thought I was the only one. And especially when I started going down that trauma healing journey and reading more and listening to more podcasts and hearing people speak, I was like, wow, there's a lot more people that are really like me that I never realized. And on top of that, I really felt like I have to share my story. I didn't even feel like it was a choice. I felt like this is this needs to be done because there's so many people that were living like me who, you know, outwardly looked like they had it all together. You know, I had a great job. I was a charge nurse in the NICU. I was making good money. I owned a condo in downtown Denver. I had a lot of friends. I traveled a lot. I had a great partner. Everything looked good. But I was dying inside. I was just up to my eyeballs and anxiety. I was incapable of ever really sitting with myself because I had truly no emotional intelligence. I didn't know how to express feelings. I didn't even know what my feelings really were. I was so disconnected from my body, from so many years of physical trauma to my body that I just tuned everything out. I was all about drinking and partying and going out and doing everything I could when I was outside of work to just quiet those voices and quiet those feelings. I was just truly like trying to separate myself from myself as much as possible. And I think there's so many of us like that who, you know, look like, wow, they're crushing it at work. They're doing great in life. But in reality, what they're dealing with on the inside is so incredibly painful and unbearable. 
that that's the way that they've been able to channel it. So it's like a positive way per se, but in reality, it is a trauma response. And so I felt like it was really important to share my story and also share, you know, the inner workings of my mind, my thought processes, because, you know, like we kind of talked about earlier, the vulnerability piece, so many of us, that's our their biggest fear. And that was absolutely mine. I thought, oh, if I can just be strong, hold it together, if no one knows what's really going on under the surface, they won't judge me. They won't, you know, think bad things about me. They'll think more highly of me, you know, whatever. I was all about just those perceptions of what I thought people thought of me. That was what to me value for myself was. It was what other people thought of me. And so as I was able to, you know, really share all that stuff, at first it was terrifying, I'll be honest. But, you know, the response that I've gotten from people, either people that I know or even just people through the internet, emails, social media, and just having people tell me that sharing my story allowed them to feel heard or feel they could relate to somebody for the first time, it was huge. And that was exactly why I wanted to do this because I know that there's so many people out there that have, you know, similar stories to us and similar feelings of, you know, maybe inadequacy, not not feeling valuable and having low self-worth and really struggling with their mental health. And this is kind of the step that it takes is more people being honest and open about their stories and having the courage and strength to share it so that we can all kind of collectively come together, have more of these conversations and heal. Yeah. I love, I was just kind of lifting it in there because I love everything that you just shared and it, it sparks a, quite a few different thoughts. So I, I do want to get to, if, if you're okay with it, and I didn't, just so people know, I always ask my guests in the show if anything's off limits. So, you know, um, you know, we talk about some, some personal, personal stuff on our shows. And so I do want to get to, again, for the benefit of people listening, you know, what, what was in your past? What were those things that created those anxieties and, you know, on attachments from your own body and all that pressure. Um, I do want to get there, but before we get there, I want to just comment on, you know, what you shared about being connected to your mental well-being and your health, because it spurned a thought. And I've talked about this before on the show. You know, we've got, you know, high-end Lamborghinis and and Ferraris and designer purses and Tiffany jewelry and sneakers that are like one of 50, one of a hundred, one of a thousand. But we're one of eight billion plus you and me and our brains are these very powerful things we i think anybody listening can agree on these couple statements right we're one in eight billion plus our minds are like the most powerful tool that we have we know science says you know our brains can produce so much electricity and you know science doesn't really completely understand the mind so i often frame things um for the guys listening and, and not to exclude women at this point but you know, specifically guys, because guys, myself, I struggle with this. I speak from, you know, not only am I a member, but I'm a client, you know, experience. We ignore this stuff, right? And so when we say, tune into your mental health, I'll phrase it this way. Just tune into your brain, right? Like, just listen to it. Listen to what it's telling you or not telling you. How do you respond in this one moment? You see other people respond a little differently. How are you responding? And that's not meant to measure up. It's meant more as a test for yourself, just like those little check-ins and see where you're at. Uh, but with all that you just shared, that dawned on me as, a, as another yet unique way to express what we're talking about. You know, in, in school, uh, I have a, a focus of some of my life on education and really specifically helping 
students at high school discover career centers as an, as an alternative option to what happens after grade 12. Not to exclude college, maybe be additive to it. Maybe that is the thing. Uh, and one of the things I'm on is also helping those instructors bring in AI. And I realize AI is social emotional learning, right? Because AI is more than just asking one question. Our mutual friend, Mike Capuzzi, and I were working on a new project together, and we've got something like a 12 to 14 page prompt to create the collateral that we're working on. And it's all social, emotional learning, intelligence, cluing in. That's what it is. It's, 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 does this word matter? How do people read that word? What do they think when they see it and what do they feel? And so long windedly talking in circles now. You know, everything we're talking about connects to the human being inside, and that's all right. And I want people to hear that and see that. Um, and that's all right to be connected to yourself. You should be. You really should be. It shouldn't be a, there's no, there's, you might take pride in saying F your feelings, but there's no power in that, no power for yourself. So, yeah, I, I could not agree more. Yeah. If there's anything you want to add to that, you can. If not, I'll ask the next question. Yeah. You know, for me, I was very much someone who I was like, I was terrified of crying. I was terrified of people knowing how I actually felt. I was terrified of knowing and feeling how I felt myself because it was just so overwhelming. It was, it was kind of uncharted waters for me in a lot of ways because <clears throat> I spent so much time avoiding that I didn't know how to feel. And I knew that whenever I got to those points of high anxiety or getting really sad or if I'd start crying, I couldn't shut it off because I just didn't know how. I I didn't know how to regulate my nervous system. I didn't know how to kind of have more control over my thoughts. And I didn't know how to really even just calm myself down or take care of myself. I had spent so much of my life not feeling safe that I... And, and basically being afraid to, sh to show emotion and share emotion because I kind of took in at a young age that emotions are useless and they don't get you anywhere. So crying or being angry or whatever, it doesn't do anything. And so I thought that I had to hide it. And so when I would actually give myself those moments of letting the emotions come up and actually feeling, I would just panic and get so overwhelmed and think, oh my God, I got to shut it down. How do I shut it down? How do I shut it down? Instead of actually feeling, which just actually prolongs everything. That's one of the things that I've been working on, especially in the last year, is actually sitting with my feelings, which, yeah, that can suck when you're feeling really sad or you're feeling really angry or anxious. Instead of just brushing it off and just trying to move on, I've been just sitting with it and getting comfortable with it and getting comfortable with that discomfort because that's what it is. It's our discomfort. But we have feelings for a reason. We don't just have feelings just arbitrarily. So learning about how to sit with my feelings and allow myself to process them and work through them and name them has enabled me to have more control and feel more empowered because I think ultimately you have to feel your feelings. If you just keep pushing them down, they're always going to be there and they're going to build and build and build until you get to this point where they just kind of just spill out of you. So instead of actually just hiding and pretending they don't exist, taking those moments, even just small moments or sometimes even longer to truly sit with them and process them. And for me, that looks like journaling, looks like meditating. Sometimes it's just sitting and staring at the ceiling while I cry, which again, not, not fun, but it's good because it's exactly what my body and my brain need to heal and to move forward. Yeah. I was going to ask you what, 
what does sitting with your feelings look like? So you said journaling, um, meditation, sitting at the ceiling crying. Um, what are some other things that you've shared with people that they can do? I'm a big fan of walking. And thankfully, I live in Denver, which often it's pretty sunny. So getting outside, getting in nature, going for a walk, for me, moving my body, has some. it's something that I can look back on even when you know I wasn't emotionally intelligent and I didn't know about trauma as much. That's what I did as my outlet. And that's still what I do as my outlet. That's a way for me to kind of get out all that energy and for me to really just kind of center myself and process feelings differently. And Medi- yeah, meditation is huge. That's really one of my biggest ones. Another thing that I love is called emotional freedom technique tapping, which is uh, basically like emotional or psychological acupressure. It is a technique where it's all about tapping on different areas of your face, your chest, and your side as you talk through your feelings. And it's been proven that um, when you tap on these specific points while you are talking through your feelings, it actually sends signals to your amygdala, which is kind of that threat responder in your brain to that it's safe and that it doesn't have to respond. So you're able to process things differently without getting that heightened nervous system response. So you can actually process it and organize it differently in your brain in a much healthier way where it feels safer and it lands differently. And that's something that really has worked well for me. I think nervous system regulation tools are really amazing. I think everyone is different. I am all about how trauma healing and healing of any kind is such an individualized process. And I'm someone who I'm all about trial and error. I love to try things. There's plenty of things that I've tried and loved. There's plenty of things that I've tried and didn't like or didn't work for me. So I think it's really important to just kind of learn about what's out there. And I actually, on my website, I have a beginner's guide to trauma healing that's free. And that has a lot of different nervous system healing techniques. It has a lot of different therapies that I talk about in my book and that I've also talked about um, on my podcast and in various other places that have helped me and ways to find those resources. There's, you know, YouTube videos, uh, meditations, things like that. It's just kind of, it's a great place to kind of get started and get your feet wet to help with trauma healing, to help with your mental health and regulating your nervous system. I love it. And uh, so my folks know I got it. I uh, opted in for the beginner's guide to trauma healing just before the show kicked off. Um, and I added the book to my Amazon cart. Uh, I have a once a week buy. I put everything in the cart I want for a week. And then I Sunday afternoons, look at it, make sure I still want it. So your book will make the cut. Um, Thank you. maybe, maybe the accessory for my truck will not, but <laughs> there's some in there, but that's, that's a little, 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 uh, life hack. Uh, if you have a little, little bit bit of too much of an Amazon habit, put in your shopping cart, designate one day a week and see what's important still a day to six days later. But that, uh, definitely smart. put... I actually, I need to steal that technique because that's, right? that's one of my one of my weaknesses is just almost daily shopping on Amazon. So I might have to, to so steal that easy. idea. <laughs> yeah, it's so easy. You like, you like see this thing in somebody else's life and like, oh, I need that too. <laughs> and then you just go and you like, it's so easy. One click buy and it's done. I put everything in the cart now. And, <laughs> On Sundays, I just do it. Plus, it means it's one order, largely one order to the house, which is nice. If you're like me, you have dogs and the dogs bark every time the Amazon guy drops off or gal drops off the package at the door and then that disrupts work. And so it's really, it's a, it's a productivity for me because it's just less uh, distraction. But uh, but no, your book is in the cart. will definitely make the cut. I recommend that everybody uh, gets the book. Uh, you can satiate 
uh, some of the greatness that Laura is giving you now by getting that report from her site. And uh, that's laurarenner.may uh, as well. So, and, and be sure to follow her on TikTok and Instagram too. So I love the sitting with your feelings. And one of the ways that I do that is, uh, and it's in, in the theme of what you were just sharing is time. Take time for yourself. It's not selfish. It's okay to be self-interested. Give yourself that time. You know, maybe it is the tapping techniques. Uh, I'm a big fan of breathing. I do a lot of like box breathing. Um, that's one of the interesting things the last eight weeks is that with that low pulse ox is whatever I caught, whatever this is, it has knocked off my body's natural ability to just breathe. I constantly find myself shallow breathing and it's really bad. So I have to focus on breathing. But it's that theme of what you shared is time. So one of those things that I do for time is I take my truck, which is, it's, it's, it's funny to say now, it's a classic. It's a 96 F-250 diesel truck. I love it. I love the thing. But it's grumpy as hell. Uh, it's leaking oil again. And uh, I'm really trying to figure out, well, my wife's not watching. But um, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to tell my wife it's got to go in the shop again. Because uh, I think it's the rear main seal, which is not a cheap repair. But I love that truck. I love everything about that truck. It transports me back to high school. Uh, that year in high school, 96, was like a great year amidst all the nonsense I've had in my life. I love driving it. Um, I love the windshield time. I'll go back roads. And uh, it's that time. You know, it's kind of like you, you say that walk, right? It just, I see different things and it's just, it's just giving myself time. And that's so important. So again, if you need this, think about this differently. Think about it that way. Yeah. There's a good picture. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I completely agree because I, you know, prior to 2021, I didn't give myself any time. My life revolved around work. It was working overtime. My only time off, I was either cleaning and organizing kind of as a anxiety, uh, or waste resolve by anxiety, I guess. But then also it was just being social, being out, doing things with friends. It was go, 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 go. I never spent time for myself really doing much except for hiking. Hiking has always been one of the things that I've done for myself that I knew was good for me physically, but I also knew did a lot for me and my mental health. I didn't exactly know the mechanics behind it until much later, but now my life looks completely different. I Every day, my non-negotiables are I meditate, I journal, I tap, and I go for at least some type of walk. If the weather's bad, I have a little treadmill in the house that I use. But those are things that I absolutely have to do for myself and for my mental health because I know that that allows me to feel and function better regardless of what the day brings. And so even when I'm working at the hospital, I wake up at 5 a.m., unfortunately, to... I'm not a morning person, so that's wildly unpleasant. But I know that I need that time to meditate, journal, and tap and do some do a little bit of a walk because if I don't, that's when I, I like I've had those experiences where I think, oh, I've just got so much going on that I'm just I can I can put that to the side for now. And what ends up happening is I just feel slowly that stress just builds and builds and builds and builds until it gets to a point over, you know, a couple of days, a week, sometimes a couple of weeks, where I'm just kind of hit a breaking point of really high anxiety, maybe a panic attack, just really low mental health, really low physical energy, things like that. So I know that taking those moments of time for me are an absolute must for just my general well-being. It's not, you know, me being selfish, kind of like you said, it's 
people often think, oh, time for yourself is selfish, but it's not. This is something that we all require and we just put off. We low we put on the low priority list when reality it should be really top priority for everybody is that care for ourselves because that enables us to have a higher, better baseline where we can do more and we can function more and really just be happier and just be in a much better state in general. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think about it this way. Um, yeah. Cause getting up early difficult for me as well. Um, especially as of late, you know, when your body's been starved, uh, 88, 89, 90 pulse oxygen, you as a nurse can appreciate that, you know, and that's here in low, low sea level, Pennsylvania, you know, we're not mile high up in Denver. So like typically I'm, I'm told I should be floating in that 97, 98 range. It just wears on me. So getting up early is, has been difficult more so as of late than ever before, but that was standing. I'll, I'll issue myself challenges. Like who else is going to do this? No one else is going to give you this time. So, so the only person not giving it to you is you. You're the one taking it away from you. You're the one who can control things. Do you want to have the energy to go to your kids' practice? Do you want them to see you present? Do you want your spouse to see you present? You know, that's kind of the way I, I kind of give these little challenges to myself. Uh, and I know I kind of said that a little more harshly with tonality. It's not like I'm beating myself up. But it, it is how I manage myself. I say, like, who who is the person you want to be today? I do want to see time for myself. I do want to take that ride in my truck. I do want to get to my campsite this week or this weekend. But you talk about connecting vibrationally to the earth, which I think is a little bit of what you were saying in hiking. You didn't say it. I said it. <clears throat> but man, getting out in nature is so healing. When I'm gelling at that campsite, I swear the greens are different, the birds are different, the air is different. Everything is connected in such a different way. What is it about hiking for you that's been so important and what you've learned? Because you said at first you weren't as connected. I, you know, I think it's, it, it just completely pulls me into a different space. Like it gives me life. In the past, I hiked because I loved, you know, the, the activity piece of it. I loved the challenge. And also, I knew I appreciated nature to some extent, not nearly to the level that I do now, but I enjoyed it. It was a way to kind of disconnect. It was kind of one of the only opportunities I gave myself because I would usually hike alone. So I would just listen to some music or just be in silence. And it was kind of one of the only times that I was truly being with myself while also being in nature. It just, it was just this, it's just a very different feeling. And now, oh my gosh, yeah, there's absolutely, you know, like the grounding techniques, um, just and also just even, you know, the visuals, the feelings of it all. I mean, there's studies that even show just visualizing being in nature for those of us who don't have, you know, the luxury of being in places that they can hike you around potentially. Um, visualizing being in nature, even for just five minutes, shows significant benefits to your brain and your nervous system. But for me, it's even, thankfully now, even though I'm in Denver, I live close to a lake, so I'm able to at least go for a little walk almost every day, which is amazing for my mental health, but between the movement and the being outside getting sun, that just, it impacts me mentally. It impacts my mood. It gives me energy. It allows me to kind of work through things and gain more clarity in my thoughts. Anytime that I'm really kind of stuck on something or whether it's emotionally or just kind of feeling kind of a lack of clarity with work, things like that, 
I'll just go for a walk and either sit in silence or listen to music, listen to a podcast, something like that. And it's amazing what comes through. It's amazing how much easier it is to process for me and also just kind of the intuitive thoughts that come in differently. It's it's just like, I think so much differently in such a, uh, I don't want to say better way, but just a, a way that just feels much more aligned with, with me. It's not fear-based. It's not coming from an anxious place. It's not coming from a place of pressure or things I have to do. It's truly coming from a place of, ooh, like this feels inspiring or like this feels good. And it's really just one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's... Uh... Sounds amazing. I think you just made some Denver transplants out of a few listeners. Um, yeah, I mean, everybody can find that connection a little differently. You know, it, it was funny you talk about a walk and how you get connected. Uh, I like to hunt, and um, I was scouting a place for uh, deer season back in, I guess it would have been October of last year. So still relatively nice here in Pennsylvania. But I just was like, it was a combination of things. I had the objective of finding some new spots, but just also was it was time for some time. And I ended up just kind of looking up and my grandfather passed um, two years ago. It'll be two years ago this August. And so that's, he was very instrumental in my life. And so that's still there. And he was a guy that would, he would literally uh, go into nature, into the woods for a weekend, you know, three days at a time and carried a tarp, like a little hammock tarp thing and some water. And that's it. Like you would do a fast. Um, and he did this sixties, early seventies even. And, uh, so I just really felt connected in that moment. And all of a sudden I'm just walking, walking, walking. And I realize I am way, way off track. Now I always go in the woods with a, I have a nice GPS device. So I mean, I always set my waypoint where I stop and park and then I was able to get back easily. But I just all of a sudden realized, wow, I am out here. Um, but I never felt like there was a vibration that existed. And uh, I hadn't felt that for quite a while. And it was very cool, very cool experience. And again, it goes back to giving ourselves time. It's, it's not selfish. You know, you might, you might have a lot of responsibilities in life. I get that. You, you know, your spouse, your children, um, People, if you have a business, they're depending on you as a leader and all that can exist, but I guarantee you it can all exist while giving yourself that same amount of time. Um, right? Oh yeah. I, I, that's been one of my biggest learning curves, I would say, because I always thought, oh, I don't have time. I don't have time. But I did. I absolutely did. I let my thoughts and the pressures of the things that I thought I had to do completely occupy my mind and occupy my schedule and occupy my life. And once I realized that I, you know, I like to think of it instead of discipline, it's more I'm devoted to doing things for my well-being. I'm devoted to doing things that I enjoy. I'm devoted to, you know, taking care of myself. And so those are my absolute non-negotiables. And there's other things that I do to take care of myself that I really prioritize. And, you know, I used to think, oh, like I have to do laundry this many times a week. Or I, I had a lot of kind of perfectionist OCD type A tendencies that I've been able to really reframe because back then I just, I had no prior prioritization of myself. And now I am my own top priority and doing things that are good for me are my top priority. And so I think we can all find that time. It's just really kind of looking at it differently and not letting our thoughts and the pressures get uh, 
taking too much control, I guess, of our minds and then therefore our schedules and our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, from my view, just getting to know you here on our time together today, it would seem to me that you've been pretty darn good at managing that. And I say it this way because your social media handles, one of which is TikTok. And so we all know uh, it's a platform that's very popular. It's really great to connect because there's tons of people but we also know the negatives of it. So how, so walk me through that one. Cause I, I have stayed away from TikTok. Like my exposure to TikTok, I guess, is what automatically gets dumped over to Facebook and Instagram, or I guess people repost that. I don't know. Um, I don't have a TikTok account. I don't know that I'm going to have a TikTok account. I'm not all that enamored by it. If people tell me my business peers and friends and networks, Oh, you got to have TikTok. I'm like, I don't know. I've, I've kind of done okay. Not having it. Um, I'm just not all that interested to this point, but with as forceful of a platform as that is, and and the, and the the heaviness of it for some, how are you managing that platform? Because obviously you're talking about some heavy topics, right? And you've, I'm sure you share authentically there as you have here. I'm sure that breeds some negativity at times. How are you managing all that? You know, great question. And I will second kind of what you said. I was so resistant to it. I was like, no, I don't want to TikTok. I don't want to go down that path. I, I really didn't want to. And I really kind of found a way to reframe it for me. You know, my Instagram, I do post things uh, related to my book, my TBI, trauma healing, whatnot. But it's also still very personally me. And I kind of wanted to put things out there differently where it maybe wasn't just, you know, my friends and family, things like that. And it was more just, I'm in a blanket, be honest and completely open and vulnerable about what's going on with me to just strangers and see how it goes. And at first it was terrifying. Like once again, you know, just showing your vulnerability, showing the deep inner workings of your mind and your trauma and things that happened to you. It's scary just sharing that with public, the public, but I really got good feedback and I, and it was, it just kind of really almost immediately, I think my first post, I got really like encouraging comments about people felt really connected to it and people felt really heard and seen. And I was like, yes, it was another reminder. This is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm doing this. And I've found TikTok to be a really easy way to kind of share just little snippets. You know, some can be funny and some are really serious and really heavy and just show these little snippets of just different pieces of my story and my healing process and the realness. I mean, there's a couple that show me just like sobbing. And I think the purpose of that is so that people really see it because, you know, kind of like you touched on earlier, a lot of social media and things like that, it's fake. It's people showing them best selves with, you know, their filters and pretending to be this person who has this just perfect life. And I'm kind of doing it exactly the opposite. I'm showing all of the struggles, all of the pain, all the things I'm dealing with my, you know, related to my TBI, my health, my mental health, my anxiety, um, just various issues uh, when I have my trauma anniversaries and things like that. And I think it's just really important to find those pockets of authentic people and people sharing authentic things on the internet, because it really kind of brings us back into reality and shows us like, yes, this, I can relate to people people are experiencing the things that I'm experiencing, which makes it okay for me to be experiencing too. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. You know, we didn't, we didn't get to it. I didn't get to ask directly and I'm not going to because we're coming to the top of the hour and I don't want to uh, like rush you or rush the conversation. 
uh, you've shared you have things in your past that led you to feel anxious and not safe and, you know, always kind of on the go. I'm sure you share some of that in your book. You share that on your social media. So people can connect with you that way. But I want to end kind of with this point. And I share this almost, I try to share it every time when I do a show, when I talk about my past, when my guests have trouble and trauma in their past. I want people to hear, and I, I want to get your viewpoint of this. I don't want people to like trauma away what you've gone through. You don't need a traumatic brain injury to realize you got some stuff in your past, right? You don't need to go what I've gone through. You don't even need to take this approach of, well, this happened to me and I've connected that to a higher purpose. Um, you know, the, the part I left out of, of that part of my story and in, in, in our time together here today is there were a couple other young men that committed suicide in that path of that evil and destruction from that abuser in my store. And so when I say I feel I was put in this path to be here to talk to about it today, it's because I had the strength to carry forward and I have the strength to talk now. And I just, that's my belief and no one else has to believe that. But you don't have to be like me or like Laura at all. Whatever it is that kind of framed you in a negative way, uh, gave you this negative way of thinking of yourself, it's all right. We don't need to weigh that out. So how do you handle that topic with people? I'm sure you've had people come to you and say, wow, Laura, I've had only one-tenth of what you've had in your life, and but I feel a hundred times worse than you do. What do I do? Great question. Because, you know, I have had that question. And I've also felt, I've had moments of feeling almost imposter syndrome. Like, you know, when I first was writing my book, I was thinking, oh my gosh, have I even experienced enough trauma to be writing this? Mm -hmm. Which I was able to thankfully squash that mentality. Because truly, what I've learned about trauma is that we all experience it differently. We can all go through the exact same experience or have the same event and ex and seemingly experience it the same way, but internalize it and process it completely differently. We're all just so unique and different in those ways. And so I think it's really important to not get caught up in the comparison syndrome, which is so easy to do, especially with social media and things like that. But really, you don't ever have to justify how much you've been through or what or haven't been through to be enough to mean whatever. It doesn't mean you don't need to meet this level of trauma to have this level of anxiety or whatever. It really just comes down to, and this was really a big, the main reason why I wanted to write, write and share my book was that I wanted to catch people before the, the trauma. I wanted to maybe catch that parent who, you know, recognizes, you know, uh, behaviors in their child that were maybe similar to me. Or, you know, someone being able to think, wow, you know, I, I do see myself maybe going down this workaholic path or maybe I am seeking value out of other things. My goal was ultimately to use my story as a way for people to kind of have that awareness of, hmm, maybe there is just more going on underneath the surface that I'm realizing that I could dive deeper into. And I think it's, you know, I always welcome people sending me messages through social media or through my website about, you know, if they want to talk about their trauma or if they have something they can relate to with me, I'm happy to kind of be that ear and help with that. But I think it really just, the biggest thing that I has, that has really helped me has been really pulling away from the comparison and understanding that it is such an individualized experience. 
our lives are so individualized, the way we process, the way we interpret everything, our beliefs are all so individualized. And so we really need to kind of take away that lens of how other people perceive it or what other people may think and those judgments and really just bring it on the inside and do the do the inner work and do that healing so that you can be the person to feel empowered and you can be the person to help yourself feel better and heal and continue to grow and get better. Yeah. At the, at the onset of what you just shared, uh, I got this visual of an equation, right? Like a mathematical equation. One of the really hard ones that I always failed in like algebra two, where, where you had the parentheses and then the number beside, and there was an X or a Y and then a dividing line and then more of that gobbledygook at the bottom. You know, so your trauma equation may be as involved in that. Might also be one plus one equals you. It might be simple. Mm-hmm. But whatever's on the opposite of that equal sign, perfectly all right. It doesn't, you know, we shouldn't, like I said, we shouldn't weigh out. So thank you for that visual. It was very vivid to me. Very interesting the way you shared that, that I got that visual so profoundly. Um, so thank you for helping me clarify that thought. Cause I, I'll continue to share those thoughts with future guests and with people because it's important. And sometimes it can be all that high level calculus stuff on that side of the equal sign, but. Sometimes it is just that one plus one equals equals you. It equals what you're about. And it might be simple stuff to some people, but for you, it's important. For you, it's profound. And it matters. And I want people to know that they matter and that they can connect to great people like Laura. So, Laura, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for... Yeah, thank you for uh, walking in courage, talking in courage, being that living example of courage today. Really appreciate it. You can connect with Laura. She's on Instagram slash Laura underscore Wren. We've had that on the show and in the notes on TikTok at the same at Laura underscore Wren, R-E-N-N. And, uh, and please get her book. No, I'm not fine. Thank you. It's on Amazon and a bunch of other places. You've got, uh, you've got a list in a bunch of places. Books a million, bookshop.org, Hudson's booksellers, Ingram Spark, Pedals and Pages. So that's all cool. So if you're not a big fan of Bezos, you can buy it five other places um, and uh, and get it there. And then please get her um, guide to healing right on our website at the bottom. Beginner's Guide to Trauma Healing. It's a free resource to you. I'd love for you to get that. Uh, go to her website, scroll down there to the bottom, click the button, and a simple name and email, and uh, she'll get that right over to you. Laura, anything to that? Anything to add as we uh, wrap up our time together? You know, I'm just, I'm so appreciative of this conversation. I feel like this was really enlightening and hopefully, you know, it really impacted a lot of people in a positive way. So I'm so grateful for you having me today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for being you. Thanks for being awesome. Being that living example of courage. I really appreciate you. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thank you to Laura. Thank you to you for watching. Uh, It's been another great episode of The Big Ticket Life. And until next week, we'll see you all later. Take care. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Big Ticket Life. You've heard from another amazing guest living their own big ticket life. And now it's time to live yours. First, I'd love for you to take me up on my free gift to you. Find your gift at gift.thebigticketlife.live. That's gift.thebigticketlife.live. See, all your life you've been told what is and what isn't possible by the loudest voices from the cheapest seats. It's time to finally do life and business on your terms. 
Sure, you've heard similar things, but without clarity on what can be done, it's easy to have your customers, employees, maybe even partners, and your spouse keep you from truly living a big ticket life. My big ticket methods shift you into that investor seat in your business, away from commodity and away from competition into a market of one so you can finally live your own big ticket life. So my gift to you is for you to book your discovery call today where we'll uncover first the Chivo behaviors, those chief everything officer behaviors that hold you back and why moving into the investor seat in your own business is critical. Two, we'll uncover the premium position that's up for grabs right now in your market that you're missing out on. And three, which big ticket methodologies are just waiting to be dropped into your business to explode your sales and profits. So again, thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love for you to take action right now. Accept this gift, book your call, go to gift.thebigticketlife.live. Again, that's gift.thebigticketlife.live.